Matthew 14, we'll read verses 1 through 12. It says there, Matthew 14, verse 1, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. <clears throat> for John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry, nevertheless for the oath's sake, and them which sat at, with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. <clears throat> and he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. When I look at this story, it reminds me of hated voices, hated voices of the past. I'm not saying voices that particularly that we hate, but that have been hated voices. On Wednesday nights, we look at, uh, we've been looking at, uh, we call it God's Word on today's issues, and one of the issues we're looking at is the idea of Bible translations, and I don't like spending a bunch of time on one issue. I just like to teach us a little bit and move on to the next, but it is important for us as Christians to understand how we got our Bible, and so we're looking at the history of the English Bible, and in the history of the English Bible, uh, it goes back to, there's a man named John Wycliffe in the 1300s who was, they call him the morning star of the Reformation. You know, he's a couple, years a couple hundred years before Martin Luther. And he did something. He was, of course, of course, everybody was there. Almost a lot of people were, not everybody, but a lot of people were Catholic at the time. And he started really reading the Bible and thinking, you know, this isn't right. And, and um, he, see, he saw that, not that he... He did not extract himself totally from the Catholic Church, but he did see salvation properly, and he saw that a man is justified by having faith in Jesus, not by keeping the, the works of a church or whatever. But not only that, John Wycliffe, here's what I'm saying, is he was the first man <clears throat> to translate the entire Bible into English. He's not the first one to do an English translation of the Bible, but the first one to get a whole Bible in English, and it was revolutionary. And the church was against it because they didn't want the common people reading that. That's for the paid professionals. And we need to keep it in Latin. And so, but he did something revolutionary by translating it, and they were against that. Now, the downside is his translation wasn't the best, but it was better than nothing. He took and he, did, he translated from a translation. The Bible was originally written in Greek and Hebrew. There was a famous translation called Jerome's Vulgate. It was in Latin. And he translated from Latin into English. So it was a translation of a translation, but it was better than nothing because English-speaking people didn't really have much. They had to keep depending on their Latin, and some who didn't know Latin at all had to just read that. 
if they could have access to it even. But he did that, and he died. When he died, years later, he was so hated that they, they exhumed him. They took his body out, the, the, the church, the established church, which was basically a Catholic church. They took his body out. They're so angry at him because, by the way, people followed John Wycliffe, and they followed some of his teachings that were, some of the teachings were against the Catholic church, and they are for Bible doctrines, and he was uh, preaching salvation, right? And these people who followed uh, John Wycliffe are called Lollards, and it got the established church angry. Wow, we wish we never seen this John Wycliffe guy. And they, 30, 40 years later, they unburied, they took his body out, and they burned him. They didn't get to burn him at the stake the first time. They burned him. They burned him up and, uh, uh, his, and his bones, and they took his ashes, and they spread them over the, this one river in, 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 um, in England, and it, and it you know, dispersed. They didn't like him. There was a man who followed him who also was preaching salvation by faith and, and was in favor of common people being able to read the Bible in their language. His name was John Huss. And John Huss was also hated and persecuted, and he, he ended up dying a martyr's death. They, they uh, mocked him, and, and they tied him to a stake. They had made him wear a hat that had devils on it and something blasphemy, and they told him to recant. He says, I'm never going to recant. And he goes, what I... What I uh, taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood, and they burned him at the stake. And when the way they started the fire to burn John Huss at the stake is they took some of the hated John Wycliffe's manuscripts of his Bible, they went over and they used it for kindling to get John Huss to get burning. And they didn't like him. These religious, even people, didn't like these honorable men who preached the gospel and wanted people to have the scripture. Years later, and by the time you get to the early 1500s, a man named William Tyndale did a translation. He didn't get to do a whole translation because he was killed before it was done. But he got all the New Testament done and some of books in the Old Testament. Well, how many of you have heard of Tyndale Publishers? Anybody have heard of Tyndale Publishers? It becomes because it's, in, it's here. And you've probably heard of Wycliffe Translators. Have you heard of that? Okay, those are named after these guys. So Tyndale did the translation. Um, I'm not going to tell his whole life story, but it, <clears throat> uh, they were against, Catholics were against what he was doing. And uh, in fact, he got in a conversation with a Catholic scholar one time. He was in his late 20s, John, uh, uh, William Tyndale was. And William Tyndale says, you know, he basically wanted people to know God's law. That's why he wanted to that's why he was reading the Greek and the Hebrew, because he wanted to be able to translate it so people knew God's word, God's law. And the Catholic scholar didn't like him doing that. It was new and revolutionary. He wanted people, the masses, to depend on the priests and just let them tell them what it says, and they can have access to the Scripture. And so William Tyndale says, no, I want the people to be able to know the Scripture. And he said, this Catholic scholar says, you know, we would be better off without God's laws, but the Pope's laws. We'd be better off having the Pope's laws, but not God's laws. And he said, I defy the Pope and all his laws, and if God spare my life these many years, I'm going to make it so that that plowboy will know more of the Scripture than you do. And he did do that. He at least got that movement going to where he got the Bible in English, an excellent translation which so many, much of what Tyndale translated actually is coming through in, our, in this King James Version. And so my whole point, and to just giving you a few examples, there's been martyrs of the past, but they were hated voices. But they died. They died maybe not 
beautifully in the sense how the word would see it. Here's a guy who he died and then he was, they, they exhumed his body and burned him again. Here's a guy who died at the stake. Here's a guy, oh, hey, by the way, William Tyndale was strangled. And his last words were, God opened the king of England's eyes. You know why? Because he was making an appeal to the king of England at times in his life to say, authorize a translation. Let these people have a translation. And years later, God did open the eyes of the king. These men were hated voices, but they did the right thing in that they spoke the truth, even though they may have died, what some might say, an ugly death. That's what you see with John. John used his voice for God, and he was a voice of truth. Let's get to know this story, and then we're going to bring it and make it a particular application for us. Look at this story here. Look what it says. So we've been preaching through the life of Christ, and then something happens here to spook Herod. Look at verse 1. Herod, at the time Herod the Tetrarch, heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. And therefore, mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Now, this is crazy. So here you have, here you have, Jesus is doing his thing. We've been preaching about Jesus, teaching, preaching, healing, etc. Herod, man, he must have his head in the clouds. He should have known about Jesus by now. He only knew about John because you're going to see why. It was very personal. He was aware of John. He had already, he just killed John by the time you get to chapter 14, verse 1. He had killed him at some point uh, between, I don't know how many months or weeks, maybe it was just a few weeks, but Herod had just killed John. Then he's like, what's this man? This other guy's preaching and teaching and, and his disciples are baptizing. Miracles? John never did a miracle. I liked hearing John sometimes, but I never... He's doing miracles, and he's spooked. Herod is spooked because he feels bad about how he killed John. Herod killed John. It was a bad, ugly scenario. And Herod's life was filled with lust and deceit and all kinds of things, and his conscience and his judgment is so skewed, he can't even see Jesus clearly like he ought to. He thinks he's John risen from the dead. Somebody should have said, hey, Herod, remember you cut his head off. Where's the head at? I mean, find him. You know, find them where the body was buried. But they just thought he was risen from the dead. So Herod is haunted here, verse 1 says, by the fact that he hears Jesus and he thinks it's John. You know what's funny? They, some people have seen Jesus and they think it's John the Baptist. Some people saw a Baptist and they thought it was Jesus, Messiah. And they need to, we need to be able to see each of them clearly. But look what happened with, with John here. So it tells the story. Now it backs up some more. Verse 3 says, For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. All right, all right. So here's the deal. If you were to read actually about Herod and read about how it doesn't say a lot, but it does. I think it's in Mark. It says that Herod heard John gladly, and he did many things. There was some kind of um, some kind of tolerance and maybe even a sense of, um, I don't know how you say it. He didn't mind listening to John, Herod, this Herod. By the way, he's the son 
of Herod the Great who tried to kill Jesus, this Herod that we're talking about. You get confused. Herod, you think one Herod, it's all of them. No, it's, it's messed up. It's just, this is Herod Antipas is his name. So anyways, he heard John the Baptist at times preach and teach and didn't mind listening to him. But now he's got to have him in prison. You know why? Because Herod, Mrs. Herod, was like, you need to get that guy. We need to lock him up. I'm tired of hearing him. She's going after her husband, Mr. Herod. I'm tired of hearing what he's having to say. Well, Mr. Herod's hearing from Mrs. Herod. Mrs. Herod does not like John the Baptist. She wants to muzzle this guy. Why? What's the big deal? Oh, okay. Look what happened. Verse, um, middle of verse 5. Put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. Oh, wait a minute. So Herod's, Mrs. Herod Herodias, that's a title, not her exact name, is actually somebody else's wife. And it's this Herod, Herod Antipas. His brother's name is Philip. Wait a minute. He took his brother's wife? Yep, took his brother's wife. Big trouble. Look what happened. Verse um, 4. For John had said to him, to Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have her. Because so he can, okay, so what happened? Here's what we, I'm trying not to spend too much time in secular history, but basically, apparently what happened was Mr. Herod Antipas apparently was married at some point, and I think his wife may have been like an Arabian princess or so, I don't remember, but he had gotten a divorce. And then Mrs. Herod that we hear about here is married to Philip, Herod Antipas's brother. She's married. She has a daughter named Salome, not Salami, but Salome. And she's the one who does this little ditty in here, this little dance. So she's married. At some point when they're still married, she meets up with brother-in-law and they have some deal, little affair. And then she goes back and somehow gets her divorce from her Philip and brings her daughter with her and marries her brother-in-law. And it's messed up. This is messed up. It was an immoral deal. And it was a not proper marriage. It was an improper marriage in this case. I'm not saying there's no place for a remarriage or certain types of conditions of a divorce, but this was not it. And so here's what happened. So let's go back. You just saw how they got together, Mr. Herod and Mrs. Herod. Blended family, the little daughter there. John the Baptist, meanwhile, he's preaching in the wilderness. What is he saying? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know the Bible says that John preached to the soldiers? And about their sin, he preached to the publicans and the, uh, the tax collectors, the publicans and the scribes and Pharisees about their sin, and he preached to the harlots and whoever. He preached to every type of person saying, repent. And you, you repent of that thing. You're, you're a crook, and you, you're immoral. And you, and you soldiers, quit complaining about your ways. Just suck it up and just, you know, whatever. And, so, and, he, and then and when he saw Herod, same thing, indiscriminate. He didn't look at Herod and say, oh, wait a minute. Hold on a second. How am I going to? I need to go talk to my PR guy. How do I word this with Herod? How do I? He just would say it to Herod just like anybody else, an indiscriminate type of a message right at Herod too. Herod is a fellow Jew. He was under the law just like John as well. So he's just shooting him with what he's being shot at with, the law of God. And so he sees Herod. He sees, what? what? Herod? You married, you had an affair with your sister-in-law and then you married her and you, what? That's not lawful, Herod. It is not lawful for you to have her. No, that blew, that, so Herod, apparently that wasn't enough to get him. It was his wife. 
She's like, oh, I don't want to hear him say that. Did you know in the law, watch this. I'll try to describe this. Moses said this. If there's a husband, I'm just telling you the law. You can just take it how you want. Moses said if a man and a woman are married and they have a divorce, and I'm not going to say whether it's a good or bad divorce or not. If a man and a woman are married, they have a divorce, and the woman goes to another man and marries him, she can't unmarry or divorce him and go back to the original. Can't do it. Can't do that. So also the law says that a man should not take his brother. There's a Leviticus chapter 20, verse 21, that a, a man should not take his brother's wife. That's, that's foolish. That's, that's wickedness, it says. And they're going to die childless, it says. And so this is messed up. So here's Mrs. Herod. She's married to the man she had an affair with. She hears this guy out there preaching, and he's preaching against people's sins, and he's preaching against their specific sin. Oh, well, it's probably okay to preach against the soldiers and the tax collectors and the scribes and the Pharisees and those scummy people out there. Well, you talk about my sin. Now, I've got to muzzle this guy. You go get him. Would you lock him up, please, and kill him? You know, and so he had, okay, honey. And he goes and he gets, he gets John the Baptist, puts him in prison. He didn't kill him yet, though, because he's afraid of the people. So he goes and he gets John locked up. Now think about Mrs. Herod. If she were, to, she had a choice. She could try to do what she was doing, muzzle him, see him killed. I don't want to hear this voice of truth. Or she could have repented. Now there may have been a scenario where she could have been executed by Mosaic law. Perhaps there was a scenario where she could have found mercy. But it would have been right for her to repent and say, Oh, yes, I'm, you're, I have broken God's law, and this was wrong for me to leave Philip, and it's wrong for me to marry this Herod. And you know what it would have left her? At best, repent, find God's mercy, and she couldn't, she'd have to remain unmarried if she were to follow their law, the law of God. Oh, that was old. And just keep her daughter. She couldn't go back to the original. She had to leave this Herod. And she chose not to repent and to go after God's mercy. She chose to try to muzzle this voice called John the Baptist. And so Herod says, okay, honey. He gets Herod, or he gets John, and he puts John the Baptist in prison. So the Bible says he's in prison. Look at verse 5. When he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. So again, Herod has John in prison. And Herod thought, ah, I may mean, just execute this guy. But he, that, but he thought, oh, wait a minute. All the people, all the people are in favor of John. Doesn't mean that every single person repented, but there was just something where the people liked that prophet, John the Baptist. I can't do that. The polls are saying this would be dangerous for me to put him to death. So he leaves him in prison, leaves John the Baptist in prison. Well, look what it says. He had a birthday, verse 6. Herod's birthday was kept. Now, now let's pause there. When Herod, okay, so Herod has a birthday. Uh, anybody have a birthday recently? I guess Brother Nakatsu's birthday was today, and I didn't find out until he left. Which is funny, though, that I think about it, preached on this stuff. He's a good man, Brother Nakatsu is. So Herod has a birthday. Now, if you're Herod and you have a birthday, it's not going to be like, you know, happy birthday, Mr. Herod. Here's your cake. We just picked it up at Fry's. Man, this is a king's birthday. Now, he's one of a puppet king, but he's still a king. This is a big deal. I'm having a birthday. Prime rib over here. 
ham over here, turduncan over here, I don't know. Just all, I mean, it's the, the food and the, and not only that, we do know that he had buddies with him. Mark says he had lords and the other rulers that were in his kingdom got all his big shot buddies, come to my birthday. We know there was big shots there with him. We know there was dancing, by one at least, and it almost, it almost smells like there's alcohol there. You know, it doesn't say it, but it's almost like, man, I can almost smell it. It's most likely, you know, it's not like they're going to have all that and say, ah, no, we, we, you know, we're, we call it teetotalers or something, you know. So anyways, he's having a big old ordeal here, verse 6. His birthday was kept, but when his birthday was kept and he's got all his buddies there with him, this is, let me pause a second. He's having his birthday. All his buddies are there. Now, Mrs. Herod, remember Mrs. Herod, she's like, I got to get rid of this John the Baptist. I got to get rid of him. And she knows that her husband's in this scenario of this birthday with his buddies, and he's relaxed, he's having a good time, and she probably knows his personality. This is the time to ask him for whatever you want. She's trying to muzzle the voice. She's trying to get, I don't know how to say this. Mrs. Herod is trying to get something she wants so badly, even at the cost of her own daughter's lewdness. So her daughter out there does a little dance. I don't think it was ballet. You know, I don't think she was doing a little gymnastic or thing, you know. It was something else, most likely. So she's getting her daughter out there. Her daughter does this little dance. Mr. Herod and his buddies are like, hey, look at that, you know. And then, okay, so then he opens his mouth. Hey there, little lady. What do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. The Bible, but, well, let's look at the words there. Verse um, 7. She pleased Herod. She danced and pleased Herod. Verse 7. Whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. Did you know that the other scripture says that? When she was doing that, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Mark, I think it says that he said, I'll give you even unto the half of my kingdom. Oh, you don't say that, man. But he was perhaps he was intoxicated. So in his state of euphoria, probably lost his, his sin is skewing his judgment again. And he says, hey, what do you want? I'll give you whatever you want, up to the half of my kingdom, little lady. Ooh, he, he, he just walking right into a trap. She probably went out again, talked to mom. He said, he said he'll give me whatever he want. Say the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Okay. She goes back out. She says, give me here John the Baptist's head on a charger. That's a platter. He already had platters around, probably with meat on it or whatever. Give me here John Baptist's head on a charger. So here he is. That's probably when he got sober real quick. <laughs> All of his buddies are around. I mean, it's like, you know, when, you know, if you really want to get a guy to do something crazy, put him under pressure in front of a bunch of his buddies. All right, I'll do it. If you ask him one-on-one, he won't do something crazy. But all his buddies are there. What are you going to do, big boy? You know, she just said to cut off his head. What are you going to do? And the Bible says, look what it says, verse uh, 
9, the king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake and for them which sat with him at meat, commanded it to be given her. That's sad. All right. Servant, executioner, soldier, go get him, behead him. They went to John, opened up John's prison, went in there. I don't know. Maybe they, I assume they did it right there. Chop his head off, stick it on a platter, walk over, and there's a bloody head right there on the platter for Herodias. What does the Bible say here? I'll look at it. <clears throat> verse, six, verse 11. His head was brought in a charger, again, a platter, and given to the damsel. She brought it to her mother. Sad. And the disciples came over where the prison was, most likely, took up the body of John, buried it, and went and told Jesus. Here you have a man who, by the way, this isn't my message, but this man, his lust just got worse and worse. He had this issue where he has an affair with a woman. He never makes it right. His lusts bring him to this affair. His lusts bring him to a point where he's enamored with this girl dancing and he opens his big mouth and says something. And next thing you know, he's paying the consequence for all this by having this prophet's head cut off, ends up in murder. But what I want us to see is this, is that John was a voice. John was a voice for God. Even if his life ended like this. You know, some of us, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I kind of have this vision for myself. I have my kids. I'm going to pastor a church. And, um, hope, you know, hopefully God will bless my ministry. I'll get old. I'll probably, you know, get sick, die of something. But I'll have kids and grandkids around. And I'll die probably at home, I hope, and have a good memorial service. And they'll say, you know, my dad, my granddad was a good man for the Lord. And it'll end just kind of like a nice, neat little tidy package. And there was Mike Henry's life. But it might not be like that. John the Baptist, I mean, he was, he was filled with God's Spirit from his mother's womb. He was groomed to be God's prophet. He was a prophet for Jesus Christ, preaching in the wilderness, telling people to repent and everything. He did everything God told him to do. And he's put in prison. And he's beheaded. And he dies this way. But you might think, that doesn't look as pretty, the whole... See, it's our American mind. We expect kind of the ideal thing. Well, the best, the issue is that we want to say is honorable and good is that he was a voice of truth no matter how ugly it got for his life. And we need, I guess what I'm saying is for us, it's telling me I need to be a voice like John, I need to be a voice for God, a voice of truth. The Bible says to us as Christians, Zechariah 8.16, these are the things that you shall do. Speak every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, uh, Paul says, Seeing we have received this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, just showing the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The Bible says um, in Ephesians 4, 15, it says, Speaking the truth in love. We need to be people of truth, a voice of truth. So John, here's what we'll do the rest of our time. John provides us five characteristics of being a voice of truth. Number one, I want you to notice the five characteristics. He is a voice that had to deal with his doubts. He had to deal with doubts. 
I'm not going to take you there, but in chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, I'll try to summarize it. John was a strong voice for God. He was a type A++ personality, it appears. But when he was taken by Herod and put in prison, now what, think, come on, relate with this. We're not in prison, but we've been locked up in our homes, some of us. Some of us much worse. Some that are out here still are contained in some places. John was put in prison after being used to being out in the wilderness, wide open spaces, dealing with people when he wants to, going back in seclusion when he wants to. Now he's contained. He's locked up. And he hears about the excitement of what Jesus is doing out there. And his, in his mind, he's expecting, why didn't Jesus set up his kingdom, break me out of here, and we'll get this kingdom thing going? But he didn't understand there was a preliminary stage of Jesus' kingdom that he was going to do. And he starts to doubt Jesus, and, his, and he's getting, you know, there's a, I'm trying to help you see, he's, his life got changed, he's contained in this prison, and it's despairing him, and it's causing him to doubt. Are you the one? He said, one of his messengers, one of his disciples, go ask him if he's really the one. Are we supposed to look for another? And they came back and gave John a scriptural answer. Jesus says, tell them I'm doing this, this, and this, which is all scriptural things that Messiah was supposed to do. So John had to accept the fact that Jesus is being who he is, and he needs to accept that. But my point is, is that before John, or, I shouldn't say before, though John was a strong voice, there was this time, at least this time, we had moment of doubt. <clears throat> Do you ever have doubts? Some people, I'm noticing this right now even, with, with the whole coronavirus and churches having to stop and people having to stay shut in, and it's doing some good, but for some people it's turning bad. They're starting to just question everything. Um, and and I, I, I shouldn't say, I should say, it's not bad to question things. You just need to come to the right conclusion. But some people, it's shaking them up in the wrong way. And, um, but when you have doubts, deal with your doubts. It's hard to be a strong voice of truth. It's hard to speak for God if you're already doubting it. So here John had to deal with his doubts, a voice that had to deal with doubts. And Jesus commends him after this. I don't think he died denying the faith. I believe Jesus commends him in such a way that, that helps people see, you know, this man is just, is just a hiccup in his life. But here, what else about John's voice? What else? He's a direct voice. Go back to chapter, or go, you're already in chapter 14. Look at chapter 14, verse 4. Look at this. If I want to be a voice for God and I'm going to learn from John, I need to learn to be direct. Wow, this is a good point here. Very simple. Where does it say John's direct? Chapter 14, verse 4. There's the Herod issue, and John said unto him. All right, so you have John being very direct to Herod. John was direct to the soldiers. He's direct to the scribes. He's very direct to the Pharisees. He's direct to the harlots. And when he sees Herod, he's direct right to Herod, speaks to him. It doesn't say that John had told other people, you know, you know, it's not, it's not like this. You, ever, you know, sometimes I think some people send these subliminal messages like Facebook messages. Kind of like a subliminal. Are they talking about me in a roundabout way? Or are they just, you know, John was very direct. He spoke, even if it was from a messenger to go tell Herod, you tell Herod, I said it is unlawful for him to have that wife. John was a direct voice for God. He didn't, 
Um, beat around the bush. You know, the Bible says, Proverbs 27, 5, open rebuke is better than secret love. It's better to just be open with somebody. Now, it's good to, re, it's good to as much as you can, try to do one-on-one -on -one rebuke, but to be direct, it helps. The Bible says, he that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with his tongue. So here's John, he's a, he's a direct voice also. And thirdly, he's a dauntless voice. Look what it says in verse 4. For John had said unto him. The him here is Herod. Most people would be fearful of Herod. This Herod's dad had killed a bunch of babies because he was insecure of his power in the days of Jesus, in the, during the birth of Jesus. Here you have this John the Baptist speaking to Herod. He's not fearful of telling even Herod. Who was really Herod? Herod was an extension of Rome. He's speaking to authority. He's not, I don't think he's being disrespectful. He was a prophet. The prophets were called. Do you know the prophets were called to speak to the kings? The prophets were like, you know, God would tell Nathan something. The prophet Nathan, Nathan would have to go, I'm just going to tell you, David, this is how it is. God would tell Elijah, Elijah the prophet. God would give Elijah the prophet a message. Elijah would have to go to Ahab. Okay, Ahab, here's the deal. And he'd have to tell him. And um, regardless, it wasn't like, well, that's a king, Lord. I can't talk to the king. I can tell the common people, but not the king. So here he is a dauntless voice. That is, he is he's speaking right to authority without fear. <clears throat> the Bible says, fear not him which can destroy the body, but can't destroy the soul, but fear him which can destroy both body and soul in hell. Matthew 10, 28, it says. And then another thing, uh, two more descriptions here. He was a voice that was devoted to scriptural authority. Look what he says in verse 4. He said unto him, John, during direct, being dauntless, saying to Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have her. You know, John didn't say to Herod, you know, Herod, she is kind of a bad choice, at least what I think. He didn't say that. It didn't matter John the Baptist's opinion. He said, Herod, Here's the law, you're under it, I'm under it, what you did is unlawful. John is not appealing to his own opinion or his own authority, he's appealing to the authority of Scripture. John, or uh, Herod, it's, it's wrong, and basically he's calling for him to repent. You know, I like the story of Micaiah, the prophet Micaiah. It's at the end of, I think, 1 Kings maybe? Listen to the prophet Micaiah. It kind of reminds me of this. In the days of, um, there was, Israel was a split kingdom. You have northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Southern kingdom tended to be better. Northern kingdom was never better, never good. You had King Ahab, a wicked king, and you had King Jehoshaphat, who's good most of the time. They were going to go together and team up. And sometimes they fight against each other, but they were going to team up and fight against another group for a war. And Ahab had a, a kind of a get-together with all of his prophets and this other king of Judah, who, tent, who was a believer. Ahab was not. He was a wicked man. And Ahab's like, yeah, should we? and they're, they're saying, should we go to war? I don't know, should we go? And so Ahab said, let me bring in my prophets. And all the prophets were like, yes! Mr. King, let's go to war. Thus saith the Lord, you're going to win, blah, blah, blah. God says, all these false prophets are telling Ahab, God says you're going to win. And so all these prophets are telling the two kings that they should go to war and they're going to win this particular war that they'll join in together on. And Jehoshaphat 
was like, eh, do we get another prophet around here? I mean, it's kind of good to just get another opinion. Do we have another prophet? And Ahab's like, yeah, I got another guy, but I hate him. He never says anything good about me. Ah, so that's what it's about. Just get the guys to say stuff good about you, you know. That's kind of how it was. Don't tell me, and then, then, then. I don't want to hear any bad news, you know. That's how Ahab was. And Jehoshaphat said, don't, don't say that. Just, just go get him. Go get him. Oh, Ahab, you know, how, you know how he has to go get that prophet? The prophet, he locked up that prophet in, in, in prison. Micaiah's in prison. You know why? He didn't want to hear him. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear the voice of truth. He locked, he had Micaiah, the prophet, locked up in prison. And so while there's this whole party thing going on with these false prophets saying, yes, you're going to win. Go, go, go. You can do it. You can do it. These false prophets are basically saying to the two kings, go to war. Joshua says, go get the other prophet. Ahab says, all right. He tells his servants, they're going to get Micaiah. Open up the prison door to get Micaiah. And they, when they open up the prison door, they said, okay, Micaiah, listen up. All the other prophets, do you know what they're saying? They're saying good stuff. You better say something good when you go out there and tell the king what the Lord says. Isn't that crazy? What? You better say the same thing. There's, like a, there's a lot of that pressure nowadays. Hey, all the other pastors, all the other preachers, all the other, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. And so Micaiah says, what God tells me, that's what I'm going to say. I love that. That's all I told you that story for. And so Micaiah says, whatever the Lord speaks unto me, that is what I will speak. That's in 1 Kings 22, 14. Micaiah was devoted to the authority of Scripture, that is, the Word of God. He says, I'm going to be devoted not to the opinions of the crowd, of the so-called prophets, of the two kings, the good one, the bad one. I don't really care about that. What God tells me, that's what I have to say. And he came and Micaiah had a confrontation with him. I won't get in that whole one. But here's John the Baptist. He was the same way. He basically would say, whatever God tells me to say, whatever God says is what I say to you. Last of all, here's another last description of John, the voice of John. His voice was determined to exalt Christ. Look in John 3.30. John 3.30. In John 3.30, it says John is being told that um, John's baptism numbers are smaller compared to Jesus' disciples and their baptism numbers. Jesus and his disciples are getting a lot of baptism. A lot of people are following him. And when somebody says, you know, there's not as many people that you're baptizing people following you. And John's response in John 3.30 is, he must increase, but I must decrease. He's basically saying that's how it's supposed to be. He's supposed to keep getting brighter and brighter and more followed and adored and loved. And I'm supposed to fade off the scene here. I'm just stepping back, fading off the scene. John was determined to see Jesus exalted and known and loved and followed at the, his own expense of dissolving off the scene. And that's what happened. He dissolves off the scene. And he probably he dies away he didn't expect being beheaded but he had done his job in telling the truth. And he died a faithful voice. And so that's what I'm just trying to set before us today, is just challenging us. I'm just challenging you with the example of John the Baptist. I mean, you might not, I'm not calling you to go get camel's hair and a leathern girdle and eat locusts and wild honey. I'm not telling you we need to do that. 
But I think the good example is that we should be a voice for God, a voice for the Lord, a voice of the gospel, a voice of truth. And so let's thank God for this lesson and ask him to help us.